If you were with us last week, uh, we discussed the topic of work, um, that God calls people into his kingdom, um, that he places them in various uh, callings to use their gifts in a sacrificial way in service to his kingdom, um, and all of that's grace. Grace and work are not antithetical to one another. Uh, our work is working out the grace that God has given to us. Grace calls us. Grace equips us. Grace sustains us. But having talked about work, today I want to look at the topic of rest. Uh, our scripture passage comes from the gospel according to Matthew, uh, chapter 11, uh, verse 28 through chapter 12, verse 14. You can find this on page 9 of your worship folder. Hear the word of the Lord. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden light. And at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. They began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he went on from there and entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy, like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your word, that you um, use it to speak to hearts, uh, hearts that desperately need truth, hearts that desperately need Jesus. And so, Father, we ask now that you would uh, take these words, your words, and apply them to the hearts of your people so that we might understand ourselves, our need, and see the beauty of who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. And it would change us. To so that end, we pray, Father, all in Christ's name. Amen. Um, not sure how it happened.
But several weeks back, um, my son came home singing a song. And sometimes you can kind of pick up on the tune that uh, he's humming, and sometimes not so much. This one um, uh, was unmistakable. Um, it was the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Pick up on that. Um, absolutely loves it. Loves it. Um, frequently requests it uh, around the house. Alexa, play Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin. Um, And when he requests it and his request isn't met, let's just say he's very worried and he's not exactly happy um, because he really wants that song. And so it's a little disorienting, you know, the, the, the juxtaposition of, you know, his unhappiness beside that song, which is just lots and lots of happiness. So a couple of weeks back, we're we're in the car, and he wants to hear it, and, and, and so I pull up the video on YouTube and played it for him. Um, and at that point, I came across another juxtaposition that I, I found a little unsettling. Um, because in the video for Don't Worry, Be Happy, bouncing around, doing his famous hilarious shtick, um, was the comedian Robin Williams, a man whose work has had a profound impact on me personally, and yet... If you know the story, his life ended um, recently in a tragic way. Ended the same way as uh, individuals like Anthony Bourdain, Kate Spade, Chris Cornell. The subject of depression, suicide, um, it's about as delicate as it gets. So I want to make certain you hear me walking softly this morning. Um... Perhaps it's affected someone that you care deeply about. Perhaps you can even personally relate to feelings of depression. And it should go without, or it shouldn't rather, go without saying that that if you are personally wrestling with that, please reach out to someone. Please reach out to me, one of our elders, someone here, um, someone that you know, someone that you're close to, someone that you can talk to. Because the reality is that since 1999, the amount of people who have taken their own lives has has been raised 30%. As far as the reason, why is this the case? It would be foolish for us to to draw any sort of wide-sweeping conclusions. Oh, here's the reason. Here's the reason why. But for whatever reason, in most cases... The thought of living just became too much. And perhaps you haven't felt this to this degree, but, but this feeling of exhaustion, of um, just being too overwhelming. Um, in our passage, what we find here is Jesus telling anyone, anyone who is weary, anyone who is heavy laden to come to him and he will give them rest. That Jesus has a heart for exhausted, depleted, overwhelmed, broken people. Now, this theme of rest, it's actually not something that just started with Jesus. This is actually a theme throughout Scripture. In fact, rest is so important to God that in the very law of God, the Ten Commandments... God sets a day aside to rest. 
And so what I want us to do today is to look at this notion of the Sabbath. The Sabbath not simply as like a day when you do church, but as the Sabbath is something so much deeper, something that we all desperately need. I want us to look at three points today. First, the purpose of the Sabbath. Second, the, the distortion of the Sabbath. And last, the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay? The purpose of the Sabbath. Let's start there. There's a quote I want to throw out to you. It's one of my, one of my favorites. It's from a guy named Alistair McIntyre. He wrote the following. I can only answer the question, what am I to do? In other words, what my actions should be. If I could answer the prior question of what story or what stories do I find myself to be a part? Okay, let me repeat that. I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself to be a part? In other words, how a person lives their life is based on the story in which they embrace about themselves and the universe or whatever. Do you want an illustration of this? Take this week, for instance, okay? As Americans, we have a particular story, which, among other things, it, it consists of the, the founding fathers of this nation living under British rule and, and then coming to, to reject this foreign authority by declaring their independence and establishing their own nation where they would be free, okay? So that's the, the story. That's our story as Americans. And so... What this means is that, that coming this Wednesday, a great number of citizens will take the day off work. We'll grill out hot dogs and hamburgers. We'll shoot fireworks. We'll, 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 we'll wear red, white, and blue because that's our story. Because our story is that, then we live that out. And, of course, that's one small example. But the American story has shaped us in ways that we don't even Realize the way we think about freedom or, or money or rights or the good life or whatever, all of that has shaped what we do, how we live our life. The story we embrace shapes how we interact with the world. I want to think about Israel's story for a second. For 400 years, the Hebrew people have been enslaved by the Egyptians. They've been working day in, day out for cruel taskmasters under an Egyptian sun that would make Memphis summer look temperate. No days off. Back-breaking labor, forced labor for you, for your kids, for your grandkids, for your great-grandkids, and for who knows how many more generations. And then... The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob comes to a man named Moses and tells him, I'm going to act now on the promises that I made a long, long time ago. I'm going to rescue this enslaved people. I'm going to place them in their own land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And God does exactly that in the first book, or first half of the book of Exodus. And then in Exodus 20, he says this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he proceeds to give them commands, gives them ten of them. 
And among the commands not to lie or steal or kill or worship other gods was the commandment that for six days people would work, and then on the seventh day, this day being Saturday, they would cease from their labor. They would rest, and they would worship. From now on, you're going to start taking a mandatory day off. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, with the rationale being, for six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. And made it holy. So why? Why should they do this? Why should they take a day off? After all, like farmers, they, they kind of like to farm. In fact, their, their livelihood depends on it. Their ability to eat depends on working. And yet God is telling them, take a day off. Rest. Why? Because their God did that. Their God worked for six days, and then rested on the seventh. For the last 400 years, there have been no breaks, no time to rest, no time to experience renewal, no time to reflect and ask the deeper question of, of why am I on this planet? For, for what purpose am I doing this? Who am I serving? No time for that. All you have time for is work, 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 and God liberates them from that. And then he establishes in the very pattern of their life, the very rhythm of their existence, it would testify to the God who created them. And they need this because for the last 400 years, they've lived around people who didn't acknowledge this God. And as they enter into the promised land, they're going to be surrounded by other nations who don't think about God the exact same way. But their God created the world in six days, and then on the seventh day he rested, and they were to do the exact same thing. And the very rhythm of their week, week in, week out, would testify to the God who created them. And not just created them, but to the same God who, who redeemed them, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, which is why when they go over the law again, in Deuteronomy, it's called, Deuteronomy is like second law, that's what the word means. So they go over the law again. Hey, let's get this like a little pep talk before we go into the promised land. Um, let's go over the law again. And then Moses gives them a different rationale. And the first one he says, okay, you're doing this, why? Because God, that's the God who created you. In Deuteronomy 5, he says, You shall remember, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So keeping the Sabbath is going to assist you in remembering who you are and who I am. It's going to remind you of your salvation, that, that, that your God... Is the God who intervenes on behalf of the oppressed, who liberates the oppressed, who works to fix what is broken, who takes dead things and makes them alive. Your God has done this for you. And each and every week, you're going to get to stop and reflect on who your God is. Your story, which shapes who you are. And so the Sabbath was given to, to orient these people and reorient them reorient them week in, week out, again and again, because here's the point. This is the, take this with you. The way people pattern their time, their weeks, their months, their years, speaks to what they worship. Let me repeat that. 
The way we pattern our time, our weeks, our months, our years, speaks to what we worship. God knows this, and the same is true even now. How we pattern our lives ultimately speaks to who or what we are worshiping and what has captured our hearts. And so, God's given them a day of rest. And this day is supposed to be a celebration. It's supposed to be an acknowledgement that, that of who this gracious, wonderful, good God is and who we are as his children, as his people. Okay? It's supposed to be not just like a, I mean, we, we hear the word rest and you might think like taking a nap or something, but in order to do it the way God did it, God didn't rest simply because he was tired. God doesn't get tired. God rested to, to look upon what he's made, to reflect, to actually enjoy it. The reason he rested was to enjoy and reflect upon what he has made, and God wants us. He even commands us to do the same thing. But in addition to the enjoyment of creation, though God doesn't get tired, we do. And so a day of rest does allow for human beings to be replenished so that they can re-engage their labors with a renewed sense of vitality and purpose. And what it communicated to the people was that you are more than your work. You're more than your labor. You're more than your effort. Your identity is not simply what you do. One commentator puts it this way, we're not simply human doings, but human beings. We're something more than that. So the Sabbath was to be a gift. It was intended to be the best day of the week, to be a glorious reminder of God's goodness, his grace, to sing his praises, to spend time with his people. It was supposed to be a day of hope, a day that would keep people focused on what God had done and was doing. It was supposed to be the best day of the week. And unfortunately, that was no longer the case, which gets to our second point for the day, the distortion of the Sabbath. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is walking through the grain field with his disciples, and as it turns out, they they run into the Pharisees, sort of a, you know, fancy seeing you here kind of thing, Um, because this is no coincidence these folks are literally following Jesus around, looking for dirt on him. Okay? The Pharisees were these self-appointed interpreters and enforcers of God's law, and they want to find dirt on Jesus. These guys were so passionate about law-keeping and law-breaking, in fact, that, that they, had, they had added extra laws, kind of a hedge around the law. So, so we don't even get close to breaking the law. Let me give an example of this. The third commandment, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Well, they found a way for us not to do that or even get close to doing that. If we don't say his name at all, then we'll never take it in vain. So we won't say God's name at all. Around the Sabbath, they've done something similar. In fact, they've come up with 39 different types of work that people were forbidden to do. And so various things you could do would fall into these different categories of work. Wearing a braid in your hair was considered to be a burden. Dragging a stick on the ground could be considered plowing. Spitting on the ground, it could dent the soil. A seed could get in there, and now you're sowing. 
You had to watch your steps. Make sure you didn't walk too much. Okay? If you wrote down something on a piece of paper, you had to make sure it wasn't too long. Now, again, none of that's in the Bible. But these man-made rules had eventually became viewed as equal to Scripture. And so, as a result, this day that was designed to be a gift, designed to be there for your enjoyment, all of a sudden became the day of the week that you would dread the most. The day that you couldn't wait to get over with. Um, Because essentially what had happened is that the Pharisees, that that their law-keeping and their law-keeping mindset had suffocated the life out of the day. It was no longer a day that you actually wanted to be part of. And so the Pharisees find Jesus' disciples picking grain. They accuse him of harvesting on the Sabbath. Now, and to be clear, Jesus had not broken God's law. God's law commanded that farmers leave the outside edges of the field, unpick so the poor have something to eat. Plus, I mean, Jesus and his disciples, they don't have, like, sickles. There's no, there's no farm. That would require if you're working, would require instruments to do the work. They don't have these. And so this wouldn't be considered working. But Jesus doesn't get into that debate. He doesn't get into a debate on, you know, what constitutes work. Instead, he goes after something deeper. He confronts them on what the Sabbath is, and he does this by appealing to Scripture. In 1 Samuel, David is on the run from King Saul, and and he's trying to escape King Saul because God has anointed David to be king. And so in the middle of this escape, David, along with those who are protecting him, are in need of food. And so these men, they stop at the tabernacle. They ask the high priest, can you help us? But the only food that they had was bread that, that according to Old Testament ceremonial law, could only be eaten by the priests. So now the high priest has a dilemma on his hands. He must decide, will I keep the command but deny these men food or will I help these men and break the command? The ceremonial law concerning consecrated bread being positioned against the moral law of loving your neighbor. And with Jesus appealing to this story, guess what the priest chose? chose to feed him. Mark's account of this incident, Jesus summarizes the whole thing by this statement. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. According to Jesus, this sort of strident rule following to protect the Sabbath is not the point of the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath is the welfare of the people. The point of the Sabbath is to give a gift of rest to humanity for their good. And in dealing with the Sabbath, the Pharisees have ultimately missed the point. They're more preoccupied with rules about what you can't do than about loving your neighbor. The needs of the people have become irrelevant And this indifference, these hungry people, letting them go hungry is given a theological rationale. God must want you to be hungry. And so Jesus is going to have none of this. It's offensive to him. 
He tells them, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, and you talk to, if you go back and look at Isaiah 58, it's a great example of this, this indifference to the poor while there's worship. Okay, we're going to go through all the religious ritual, but we don't care about our neighbors. All your religious observances detached from love of your neighbor is not what God wants. And so Jesus exposes this. He exposes this dead, empty, ritualistic religion for what it is. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word Sabbath, it's kind of got those connotations for me. Okay? The Sabbath is sort of this, you know, this day of, of religious observances. It's a day full of rule following. It's a day that, that, that we think of as a day that keep us from the enjoyment of the things that we really want to go do. It's a day that we would even dread. I don't know if that's just me, but I, I can't imagine I'm the only person that maybe has been exposed to sort of a religious culture where Sundays were not something to be enjoyed, that enjoyed. The notion of it, if it being a celebration sounds foreign. I mean, for some people, that's, that's Christianity across the board. That's the whole deal. And so if you're exhausted, if you're depleted already, I mean, if you're barely hanging on, to use Jesus' words, if you are weary and heavy laden, why do the church thing? I mean, why heap more guilt and more shame upon yourself? Why add more exhaustion into the mix? But what Jesus is going to show us here and what we just read is that's not what the Sabbath was designed to be. Because while the Sabbath of the Pharisees may leave hungry people hungry, broken people broken, leaves depleted, exhausted, frustrated, broken people in the exact same condition or even worse. Jesus offers an alternative. Gets us to our third point of the day. It's the Lord of the Sabbath. In verse 8, Jesus makes the statement that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus here refers to himself. He does this Quite frequently, as the Son of Man, he's borrowing from an Old Testament passage, Daniel chapter 7, um, when he does that, and, and what he's essentially saying here is this, I am God. I'm God, okay? And therefore, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I can interpret the Sabbath for you because it's my day. Because I was there at creation, Because I created time. Because I gave the law in the first place. So I can tell you what the day really is all about. And then Jesus shows what the day is really all about, starting in verse 9. He enters into the synagogue. He encounters brokenness. A man with a withered hand. And the Pharisees had a law in place that you could only heal on the Sabbath if it was life-threatening. Okay? And so in, this, in their view, I mean, this man with the withered hand, yeah, that's not good, but maybe we can take care of that tomorrow, if at all. But we, we sure don't need to do it right now. And Jesus looks at him and disregards this nonsense completely. 
He shows that, that healing not only should be allowed on the Sabbath, but that, that the Sabbath was the perfect time to heal someone. Because restoration is what the Sabbath is all about. Is it completely lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Yes! It is absolutely lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And so Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath in that he is God and he gets to be the one to tell them this is what the Sabbath is all about. But that's not all. Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath is more than that. Take a look at verse 6. Jesus tells the Pharisees, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Back in verse 28, Jesus says, tells those, if you're weary, you're heavy laden, not to go to the temple, but to go where? To me. Come to me, and I will give you rest. The word Sabbath simply means rest. And here's what Jesus is saying. I'm the point of the Sabbath. I'm the fulfillment of the Sabbath. I'm the embodiment of the Sabbath day. I am the place where your soul can ultimately find what it is looking for, what it's craving. I am the one who gives real and meaningful rest in the truest sense of what that means. I am the one who restores life to what's depleted. I am the one who frees those who've been enslaved by sin. I'm the one who feeds starving people. I'm the one who carries burdens that you cannot carry any longer. I'm the ones I'm the one welcoming people exhausted by a religious system indifferent to their needs. I'm the one giving hope to the hopeless, to the one who who provides what's lacking. I'm the one giving true and meaningful enjoyment of the world that has been created, redeemed, and will one day be completely restored based on what I'm going to accomplish. What Jesus is communicating here is that true rest is not found in legalistic observance of a day. It's found in a person. It's found in him. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that, that by ceasing from our attempts at earning God's favor and trusting instead in the merits of Christ Jesus, we can experience God's rest, his Sabbath, Sabbath, now. That's not talking about heaven one day. Rest is not just a future hope for the believer. It's a present reality. And we experience this rest not one day of the week or or, or simply when we die. We can rest even while we're working. Our souls can rest with the knowledge that our performance doesn't make us right with God. Christ does. Our souls can rest knowing that, that when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it. Our souls can rest knowing that we are loved and that we are forgiven and that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of Christ, the love of God in Christ Jesus. 
We can rest knowing that our, our value, our identity, our worth, our dignity is not through what we do the other six days of the week. Our identity is in what Christ accomplished for us. We can rest knowing that the pain and the hurt and the injustice of this life is not pretend, but it's not the whole story either. And that God can and does use it, and that one day everything will be made right. We can rest in that because that's what Jesus promises. We can rest in Jesus. So it begs the question, okay, Jesus is our Sabbath. He is what the Sabbath is all about. He's the embodiment of the Sabbath. Why are we here then? Why are we here right now? I mean, some have made the attempt at arguing. I mean, why show up at Sundays at all? Like, what, what even is this, right? The Sabbath has been fulfilled in Jesus. And so the Sabbath, for some, and the argument tries to be made that it's essentially abolished. But throughout the New Testament, we still find believers getting together on what became known as the Lord's Day, Sunday, the day of resurrection, the first day of the week, the start of a new week, the start of a new creation made in Christ Jesus. And so we still gather. We still gather as this is the the Sabbath, the new Sabbath, Um, and we need it. We need it for at least two reasons. First of all, we need it because we're human. And human beings need a break. You are not made to work all of the time. Okay? The illustration of the Hebrew people working 400 years in a row and not getting a day off should stick with us, should speak to us. We've been liberated from that. We've been liberated from enslavement that would have us do that over and over and over again as if our value can only be found through productivity. Over and over again, as I talk to to people, as I talk even to to us here, the common denominator, and this is why we did Crazy Busy, the common denominator is how busy we are. And this isn't just like being busy during a, you know, the holidays are nuts, um... It's a constant reality, and, and particularly as it relates to, say, technology, which allows us to have, like, what I, one time I heard described as, like, a constant ringing of a telephone in the back of your ear. And a lot of times that's your boss asking you to work or keeping you mentally kind of connected to that. Um, our inability to compartmentalize, our inability to say no, our inability to turn it off, it's hurting us. It's keeping us from rest. And it's no coincidence that, that as the Sabbath principle has taken less and less of a place in our lives, we're more stressed out, we're more exhausted, we're more unhappy, we're more unhealthy. And there's a law of diminished returns here. Here's the thing. Every year, God provides us with seven and a half weeks of vacation. Every year. And he gave it to us not to be a burden, but because he loves us. He wants it for our good. 
There's another reason why the Sabbath needs to continue to be up and running for us. It's because we're forgetful. I'm going to go back to that quote I said at the beginning of the, the sermon. I can only answer the question, what am I to do if I answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself to be a part? It's been said that if we forget our past and lose sight of our future, we'll be lost in the present. The reality is I forget my story all the time. I forget who I am. I become enamored with or submerged in other stories, other stories that that overshadow or even compete with the real story of who I am. All right? So we're going to have a story that's going to be told to you this coming Wednesday. I'm not denying the legitimacy of that story. You're an American citizen. That's fine. But your real story, if you're a believer, is that your value and acceptance is not based on the performance that you have as a parent or a spouse or a boss or an employee or a family member or, or a little league coach or a pastor or a minister or whatever you're doing here in the life of this church. Your identity, your value is the fact that you were created by God and that you were made to love him and worship him and serve him. And when you rebelled and when you fell into sin and enslavement, Jesus came and liberated you. That's your story. That's your story even now. So that we would be redeemed, brought into his family and given new life. So that our primary allegiance would be to him. And I need to hear that story again and again and again and again and again. And I need to be with other people who believe that story too. And I need to be encouraged by the gifts that are in this room. And dare I say, you know, there's a reciprocity there as well. I need to use my gifts as well. Off the purpose of resting in Jesus. This isn't about religious observance of a day. It's about communing with our Savior who we know we need. My prayer for us here is that that would, not not for the glory of GCC, that's not the point, but that this would be a place where we can come here and be challenged, yes, but, but rest. Hear the gospel. Be encouraged. Be reminded. Be renewed. Be with God's people. Be with Jesus. So that though we've experienced God's rest in Christ, we could take time out intentionally to give him glory, to sing his praises, to reflect, to admire him, to return to him, and to find rest in him. Prayer is that that would be our heart's desire and that we would experience that in abundance. As he invites anyone, anyone, weary and heavy laden, to come to him. Let me pray for us. So often finding uh, other ways to, for satisfaction as opposed to what our hearts are really craving. So help us to rest. Help us to see. Uh, The beauty of Jesus is the place we can turn to again and again. And when we lose sight of that, bring us back. So that our souls would rest 
We would know of our worth and dignity because we know of you and your love for us. Help us to that end, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.